Film Society of Lincoln Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. Each week we bring you in-depth conversations with today's leading filmmakers. On today's two-part episode, you'll hear from Adam Driver, who joined us at the 54th New York Film Festival back in October for the premiere of Patterson, followed by a discussion with Denzel Washington, Viola Davis, and more about their new film, Fences, which is now in theaters. Fences stars Denzel Washington as a former baseball player struggling to care for his family in 1950s Pittsburgh. The film was directed by Washington and is adapted from the Pulitzer Prize-winning play by August Wilson. Washington joined Viola Davis and members of the cast and crew to discuss the film at a recent preview screening here at the Film Society. Let's go now to their conversation. I forgot my belt tonight, so. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> hey, shut up. Who's that talking about? All right. <laughs> Congratulations, everybody, first of all. Congratulations. Um, Denzel, I'm going to start with you. And in the spirit of the film, I'm going to pitch a softball, sort of a little bit on the inside, just to get the conversation started. So this is going to be an easy one. Uh, I'm going to ask a few questions, and then I want to get to uh, folks here in the audience. Um, tell us something about Troy Maxson, uh, why he's important to you, and I wonder if you can remember the first time you uh, met him, as it were. Well, I guess the first time I met him was in 1980-some-odd when I saw James Earl Jones yeah. and uh, Courtney Vance and the great Mary Alice yeah. in that production. Uh, what did, he, what did he say to you? What did that... He didn't say nothing to me. <laughs> you know. Uh, it doesn't happen like that. Or right, for me, fair enough. somebody's fair enough. role speaks... You know, I don't know what that means. Was there something about that character, about that... that... It's a great play. Yeah. And, and, yeah. So, August Wilson, August Wilson. Yeah, the great, the great play, and Costanza... Uh, 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 can tell you, uh, I, I, I was fortunate to spend a day mm-hmm. back in, I think it was 2005 with, with August, and uh, it was just one of the best days of my life to just sit with him and listen to him and, and, and his talking about his process and what, what he does. Was there something about, uh, as you got further along and you ultimately... Older. You mean older? Uh, older? <laughs> well, maybe, that, maybe that's a way into it. Maybe that's a way into talking about... Um, did you find yourself, were there ways that you found yourself relating to this character? In what ways did you find yourself relating to this character as you matured and as you ultimately decided to tackle not only acting but, but directing this, you know, this story? When Scott Rudin brought me the screenplay seven years ago, uh, I, again, going back to the 80s, I thought I was too young for the part. And then I read it and it said, uh, 53, and I was 55. I was like, wait, I better hurry up or I'll be too old for the part. <laughs> yeah, so I called Scott up. I said, you know, I want to do the play before I get too old. He said, you want to do the play? I said, yeah. He said, all right, I'll call you on Monday. Let me raise the money, and here we are. And I'll call you on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, let me ask, let me ask um, Viola Davis a version of the same question. Um, the two of you performed these roles. Uh, so, as Denzel mentioned, the play, the play comes from 83. It's part of a cycle of plays by August Wilson. It came to Broadway in, uh, if I'm not mistaken, 87. When was it first done, Kastan? It was done in 86. 86. 86. So, broad, 86, Broadway 87, and then revived in 2010. The two of you played these roles. Um, what can you tell us about this character of Rose, your relationship with her? Uh, how, what did she say to you, so to, so to speak? What, draw, what drew you to her? What draws you back Besides to her? Besides the fact that it's a great role, it could not be any more perfectly written. Um, I think the best part of Rose is that when, you, when she's introduced in the play, she's in the background. She really is. I mean, she's cooking. She's sitting. I mean, it's not that she's not enjoying the banter, but you kind of feel like this is how it's going to be. It's, it's, it's Troy's story. And then when she steps forward and she, um, when she's betrayed, then you hear her voice. And I think that's really nice. You don't get that often. You know, a lot of times women are in the background, they stay in the background. 
But um, when she really taps into her voice, she really is, taps into it. I like that about her. Uh, I want to switch gears and I want to bring in um, Stephen McKinley Henderson. I want to bring in uh, Constanza Romero Wilson because I want to talk a little bit more about August Wilson. So maybe one of the two of you could tell us something about August Wilson, um, the person, the writer, uh, something that relates to this specific play. I mean, uh, Stephen, you've performed in a number of roles in his work. Well, you know, I can talk about the writer, definitely. Uh, I was always in awe around him, and I was always welcomed. He, he welcomed me into his company. I just was always still in awe. And uh, it took me quite a while to just be hanging out with August Wilson, you know what I'm saying? It took, it took a minute. Uh, because he was just so wonderful, and he would try out ideas. He would, you know, he'd bring up something. He'd, he'd engage you. And, 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 and then you know he, he, was, he was sneaking up on you with something monumental. Uh, one of my favorite times is I, I said something, I always loved when I could say something to him that he delighted in, you know? Yeah. And because and he did, he delighted in listening to stories. That's why he could write such great stories because he listens so well. And he'd sit around, he'd be listening to people. And I told him I heard these brothers uh, coming down the street uptown and I was a little nervous because they were arguing. It sounded like they were really talking loud, and the, and, uh, and the dude was saying, no, no, man, the blues don't come from being black. The blues come from being black in America. <laughs> Say, you was black before you came here. You didn't get the blues till you came here. <laughs> and, and August just, he said, oh, I like that, man, I did that, man, I did that, you know? And, uh, and so, so that, that was one of the things that I love as a writer because he appreciated so many, and he appreciated other writers. You know, he would, he would tell you in a minute that, Amiri Baraka was an inspiration to him in that, you know, that he found things that he talked about a field of manners. When he talked about James Baldwin, talking about mm -hmm. that we have a field of, of, of manners and a way of behaving. And he just rejoiced in other people and, and listened so well. So that's, that's, that's what I most was in awe of about him, that he had so much that was inside him, and he got it because he listened to his parents, to his ancestors, to the people in the street, you know. He just, he listened and then he elevated it and, and exalted it and, and, and did something with the language that, that you have to just witness. You know, don't, no words to talk about that. You don't have to talk about that. Just, just read it. It's, it's right there. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Constanza, I'd love for you to pick up on some of that and tell us a bit more about the man that you know, you, know, you knew uh, and, 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 and how you um, maybe help us understand his relationship to this specific play as you might have talked with about him about it in his life. Um, sure. I, um, you didn't see me in the movie because I'm August Wilson's wife. I don't, <laughs> let me introduce myself. Um, August was a very principled man. He uh, lived by... Um, a saying that his mother always repeated to him, which is something is not always better than nothing. And uh, he would rather have nothing than compromise certain things about himself and certain things about, you know, black America. And, and I think that him being such a principled man, he taught me so much in our time together. Uh, he put that kind of sentiment and warrior spirit, I think, into his characters, uh, such as Troy Maxson. And also the, the, the storytelling tradition, the, the fact that, you know, in, in, while he was growing up, people were playing the stoops, you know, people uh, sold fish sandwiches, people were, uh, yes, playing, baseball on the street, and they, uh, he loved to tell the story of a community, you know, uh, and, and what made that community strong and resilient, and, and uh, he had so much passion for, for everything that had to do with the black experience, and in getting to all of those specifics, as you all know, that's how you get to the universal, and uh, he... Uh, you know, he he wrote seamlessly. He we would be sitting at a at a cafe, and he'd be saying, "Well, this happened to this character, and this happened to that other character in a play he's writing." And I'm saying, "Really?" <laughs> you know, it's like as though they were all real people, because they were real to him. 
And uh, so to live was to write, and to write was to live mm. for him. Mm. And uh, that's basically like Troy and his bat, basically. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, well, let me ask Michael T. Williamson about Gabriel Maxson. And I wonder if you remember the first conversation you had with Denzel Washington about that character, about this role. Can you remember uh, an early conversation the two of you had about, about being in this, being in this uh, performing this role, being in this movie? Well, uh, not, not exactly, no. Um, but uh, I remember uh, wanting this so badly, feeling privileged that I was gonna get to go and do it. And even though I was cast, I was so disappointed in myself, I didn't realize that they'd like me. And uh, I told that story before, a couple of days I spent in the bed, found out they liked me, I was so happy, man. <laughs> because as an actor and as a human being and as a black man in America, uh, <clears throat> Denzel has always made us proud, always. <laughs> and those who are, have fallen by the wayside took the route of jealousy when they saw this man's excellence. But uh, he instilled fear in all of us. That's, I gotta give it up. <laughs> I'm serious. Is that but true? the kind of fear that he instilled in me was, I gotta figure something else, I gotta figure out another route, because you knew he had that one covered. So I went the character route and learned how to make that as excellent as I could. But um, I looked up to him, found that a, a great privilege, and then to be included now again, is, it's, I, I have no words. Thank you, Denzel. Jovan, did, was there fear? Was there, was, was, was there fear instilled in you? <laughs> a little bit. Be honest. <laughs> um, just, I think a lot of the fear came from my own imagination. I mean, when I found out that I got this part, I was really excited that I had the opportunity to work with one of my heroes and with a full cast of veterans who I knew were just gonna be people that I'd be able to learn something from. So I think that the fear really came from just me I think especially when we started in rehearsals, I was paying more attention to trying to make sure I was doing the right thing in rehearsals, you know, making sure I was trying to please the, direct, the director versus being in the moment and really paying attention and listening to my scene partners. And I think that's something that I had to work on and I got better at I feel like I got better at it as we kept working through it. So the fear naturally went away when I was able to just let go and trust that the preparation was there and I can go out and just play. Denzel, people are talking about wanting to please you as the director. Um, you've been an actor in, on the other side of things, I assume trying to please a director or trying to navigate a relationship with the director. But in this role as a director of this piece, who are you trying to please? Are you trying to please yourself, the page, because it's this <laughs> August Wilson play that you know so well? Or, or is there something else that's driving you through this process? Trying to please God first. To be pleasing. Yeah. You know, you're just trying to, you know, I'm an ordinary man with an extraordinary job, right. not the other way around. So it, it's all gravy for me. Right. You know, I, when I was younger, I used to coach a lot. Mm -hmm. And nothing made, it's, you coach kids in sports, nothing made me happier than seeing other people do well. Well, that's sort of my nature, and, that, and directing was the perfect job for that, because I love seeing Others do well. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. I did pretty good. I'm, I'm good. I've done all right. But to see others do what, you know, they're, what they're capable of yeah. gives me great joy. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to take some questions from the audience in a moment, and I'm going to throw out a question to anyone on this panel. Um, I was thinking as I was watching this movie, um, why this play now? What is it about this story right now um, how, how, does, how do you relate to this play, this story, its themes, uh, its ideas in this moment we're living right now in 2016? <laughs> well, I, uh, I, if, if August were sitting right here, he'd say, what took you so long? <laughs> but, um, I think to exalt and to 
um, to really pay homage to black culture and to uh, also give air, you know, to all the people of what August said and, and, and the way that he wrote and, and to have many more ears listen to his poetry. Uh, I think that it is time, especially, you know, I, I, thank God I'm in a blue state, so I'm gonna say after the election. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I think that uh, just August spoke for the black experience and we need to have more voice for the black experience, especially in a, it's all its humanity and it's all its wonder and, and you know, uh, ex good and bad and, and uh, Denzel, I just have to say, you did it so beautifully. Thank you. Yeah. And you know, it, it's, it, the universal stems from the specific. Yeah. It's, it's specifically about this African-American family, but the themes are universal. You know, betrayal, love, all of those, you pick, pick a color. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, got a few witnesses in here, <laughs> right? <laughs> you got one back, yeah, so you know, those themes, the things he touched on. Yeah. You know, he wrote a masterpiece. You know, uh, uh, listen, Eugene O'Neill, Tennessee Williams, Arthur Miller, yeah. Edward Albee, Arthur, uh, August Wilson, and, 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 and Neil Simon. I mean, come on. Yeah. He's one of the greatest writers in American history, yeah. in world history, yeah. playwrights ever. Yeah. So, and this is one of his greatest plays. So this is just really a privilege mm -hmm. and, and an honor to, to to be a part of it, to, mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm still waiting to be awakened and realize I'm still working at the post office or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dream come true. Um, let me find out what the audience wants to ask you. There is a microphone, uh, and the gentleman right here in front of you will start there, and then we'll work our way. For Viola and Denzel, what was it like to go back, uh, having done these roles for, for so many months on stage, to make a film with them, and Denzel directing yourself, uh, did you stay in character uh, the way I heard uh, Warren Beatty did when he was playing Howard Hughes? He'd direct as Howard Hughes when, when he was in a scene. Uh, and, you know, was, uh, do you have any other August Wilson plays you'd, you'd like to do? What was the first one? <laughs> <laughs> what was the first, that was a long question. What was the first one? <laughs> Rose, I mean Viola. <laughs> it's really funny because I always have something to say and for some reason with this piece I have nothing to say, which is interesting, I don't know. A therapist could maybe evaluate that, but um, I just didn't want to do it by rote. You know, I felt like I already knew it and I felt like that was a trap. So I wanted, I, there were times I would keep repeating a line and I would emphasize different words just to wake me up. And then, um, and then it was a chance and an opportunity to fix some things that I never got right on stage. And that was the last piece with Corey. Never got it on stage. I mean, literally there was, there was one day for hours we, got, we went through the scene over and over and over again. I said, at some point, I'm going to get it. I went to Juilliard. I'm going to get it. <laughs> Never got it. Until I did the movie. What, you know? what did you feel like you weren't getting right? What, what, what was it about the... I, you know when you're not getting it right. You right. know that when you're coasting, every time I would get to that scene, every single night, I would want it to be over. That was my internal monologue. Wow. Um, I can admit that now because it's over. I would never have said that then. <laughs> but I just, oh, let it, let it be over. Let it just be over because nothing is happening. Hmm. And I think, to be honest with you, one of the reasons why I didn't get it is because I said, okay, Okay, she did all of this because she wanted this baby. Really? She didn't want like a great job at a bank. And then I became a mother after that. 
then, then everything changed. My heart changed, my, your whole being changes, and then all of a sudden, I got it. That the, that the whole moment, like Denzel said, this is not a monologue, Viola. You're doing this for him. That the whole speech was about, as parents, we're just doing the best we can with what we're given. I didn't get that. And I thought I was a deep person then, but I guess I wasn't. So for me, you know what the whole play is for me, and it's probably one of August's biggest gifts, is it becomes a spiritual journey even for the actor. That you have to go to, to places that are not just about doing your objectives and your tactics and all this acting stuff. It's about going someplace much deeper and being naked in a way that you oftentimes are not when you're acting. Real deep place. And um, that's what the film afforded me, if that answers the question. And, you know, and the film is right here. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we don't have to reach back there now with you mm -hmm. because the camera's right here. Mm -hmm. And if the two of us are talking, the camera's right here. And now you can... You know, you don't have to. It's actually more naturalistic, you know, within the scene. You don't get to have the life of the play, obviously, in one day on film. But within that each scene, it's more naturalistic acting than, than on, the, on the stage, especially on a Broadway stage. Are you directing, directing yourself? Uh, four takes, let's move on. You know, for me, again, like I said, I enjoy, I get a lot of pleasure out of seeing others do what they do, so I would always shoot everybody else first. If we were doing a scene together, I'd, I'd get her performance, and then we'd come around, four takes, and we'd move on. And, uh, you know, I, I just didn't worry about that. I just didn't worry about it. As a follow-up to something you were just saying, Denzel, um, you talked about the camera moving in to a performer with the way you've designed this world with your team. You're also opening up this world from the world that people might have seen on stage. Um, tell us about that. Tell us about well, that. You know, it, 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 August wrote a masterpiece. So you had to be real delicate. I had to be real delicate about what we might change, if anything. I mean, we added maybe 22 words. <laughs> you know, the commissioner will see you now and uh, whatever else we might have ad libbed but where things take place, because now we're not gonna just present it in the back of the yard. Where else could this take place? So we do have the kitchen, we do have upstairs, we do have the front room. Would, you know, it was a big thing for me was the decision to have Rose come to his job. Mm -hmm. That's a major mm -hmm. shift mm -hmm. in the, in, from the play. Mm -hmm. I mean, we didn't have the luxury of that in the play, mm -hmm. but he walks out that door and it's, you know, that speaks volumes. You can just stand scene. <laughs> you can stop right there and go, and what would you do? In it? Would you, A, go back inside? <laughs> Act like she, and I asked Ro Viola, I asked Viola, would you go inside while he's working or would you wait outside? That was, you know, it was a delicate chain. And, and, and also having Bono, well, Bono still comes to see his friend whether he comes to see him on the porch at the house or he comes to see him at the bar mm -hmm. the way he does. He's mm -hmm. still his friend that loves him and he's worried about him and he comes to see him. So in a way that, I don't want to say it elevated, but he actually, we, we threw, that was the other ad lib. He said, I came by the house, you wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. so that was the other line we, we added. So it, 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 it put more pressure on that character. That you know, it, it, that was, it was so great. First of all, every location we went, to in, in Pittsburgh, it was so special. And the people were so glad that we were there. And it wasn't just because it was Denzel Washington violated, it was because we were doing August Wilson yes. in Pittsburgh. Mm. And that was just incredible and it added so much. But, but also as you say, the places that you did pick, man, to put place, it hit me when we were in the bar that all the times we had been together before that, we had one bottle that we shared one one bottle, you know, and uh, and and we pour some for the for the guys upstate and all that, 
And then we're in this place where it's all this liquor. The boy was liquor everywhere. And Bono said, no, I don't want to drink. Mm. And it's, so, it, it, you know, I, it didn't even occur to me until we were there mm. that that juxtaposition of having all the liquor we would want to drink and we weren't sharing anymore, you know? Uh, but there were things like that that just, that the serendipity of it, I don't know, the grace, all of that, uh, we knew that it was mission-oriented work. And uh, uh, I gotta say, uh, and, and uh, you know, Denzel get a little embarrassed, but I mean, he is just one of the most beautiful human beings. I gotta tell you this, I had had a hip replacement um, uh, a few months before uh, we were gonna shoot this, and uh, he was shooting uh, Magnificent Seven, and, and, and he called me, uh, and he said, man, you, you laying there worried about if you can do this, right? And you remember this, man? You said, you said, you worried about getting up and down on that garbage truck. I said, yeah, man, I am. I'm concerned. You worry about if we can dump that garbage and walk that hill and this and that. And he said, man, it's a movie, man. I take care of that. <laughs> you know, it's a movie, man. Now, now, of course, that made me want to go into my rehab every day. I was doing my stuff. I'm going to do it. I'm going to show him I can do it. And I got there, and I got to ride in the truck with him when he was learning to drive the truck, just driving all around this big yard, man. And, and it was like being a kid again, but you had a grown-up toys, you know. And, and, and then I was able to do it. I was so proud. I was able to get up on the truck, ride the truck, you know, down the hill, get off, go dump the stuff in there. He ain't shoot none of that. <laughs> no. He didn't use none of it. He didn't use none of it. <laughs> I'll send you the footage. I got the footage. <laughs> I'll cut something together for you. Okay. All right, let's, let's take a couple more. Um, okay, let, can we go over here to the center right here? Do you mind? Let's wait for the mic so we can hear your question. Thank you. Good evening. Uh, my name is Pamela. I'm an actor. I'm, I have no desire to, I haven't had a desire to make a film. However, tonight, Mr. Washington, you showed me something with your filmmaking that I've never seen before. I don't know if it was the glass of wine I had earlier, but <laughs> this, when the first Friday in the backyard, I mean, through, and through, it set the precedent for the film. Just everything was so seamless to me. I was like, okay, how many cameras is he using? I mean, like they're talking mid-sentence, but then it changed angles and I don't know. I was just like really mind blown. I, I don't know. It was just. Sound like more like a director. Like, <laughs> but it's you. Camera angles and stuff. Is you, no, I'm just I, saying the way you see things. You help me see this. Um, and uh, there was something else I wanted to say. That's that wine. Don't worry. That wine is winning. <laughs> Well, go on. Somebody was, else asked the question while she's thinking. It was just beautiful. It really was just beautiful filmmaking, and thank you. And um, how did you just use one camera? I mean, I really was like. No, we use we use as many as they let us have. <laughs> I heard you say four takes, so but it, it was yeah. just it was beautiful. It thank was really you. really you. beautiful. Go right down the row, a few people to this gentleman right here. Thank you. Hi. But I would like to know is. Um, how in the name of God is Mr. Henderson a black man? Because I can't believe that. <laughs> oh, wow. He really, really, really uh, looks uh, more like a white person. Well, now, where are you from? I'm from the Dominican Republic. You're from where? Dominican Republic. Oh, okay. Oh, so yeah. you know about slavery and what happened. I do. That's why <laughs> okay. I asked. <laughs> All right. You know the other side is Haiti, right? All right. <laughs> okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> go ahead. Um, can we go... Uh, Back a ways, we'll go there, and then we'll go up here as well. Congratulations to all of you. It's beautiful performances. How long did you have to rehearse, and how long did you have to shoot? Just curiosity. We rehearsed two weeks. Mm -hmm. Two weeks for the film. Right. One, two, three, four of us. Uh, five, including Russell, were in the play. But we, we sort of tried to stand it up on its feet, and, 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 and we... Uh, uh, we took a big room and taped out every every room in the house and and just walked it like a like a play. Tried to stand it up like a play. Mm -hmm. And shooting? Uh, shooting. What was it? Eight, eight, 38 days. Thirty-eight. Wow. Todd, thirty-eight days. Thirty-nine. Oh. <laughs> well, congratulations. Spoken like a producer. Our producer, Todd Black, back there. 
get shy now, Todd. Uh, there's a gentleman here. It's, uh, it's really great to see this brought to film because uh, not everybody can get to go see a Broadway play. And I was lucky to be able to, and I've seen a few of August Wilson's plays. Uh, but it's done so well in film, and I think his writing somehow really comes off really well in film. And so, uh, and maybe this is for Costanza, any uh, possible plans to uh, bring one or two more to, to film? I certainly hope so, and I hope that I can do it with Denzel. <laughs> yeah, we, we made a, we made a, uh, yeah. We, 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 Ma Rainey has already got the first pass, and it, it's, I made a deal with uh, HBO, so that, you know, one at a time, <laughs> one at a time. We're running out of time. I think we can get one more question in. Let's go right here. Hi. I just have one question about the play, and I wanted to find out if it was autobiographical in any way for August Wilson, if it was talking about his father or his, himself or... Uh, you know, a lot of people ask that question, yeah. and I think that uh, August, even though he, you know, this is not completely autobiographical, uh, there was a man uh, who was down the street who was a... Um, he was a fighter, and uh, his name was Charlie Burley. Oh, and he, uh, he refused to throw a fight. And he could have he gone a long ways in his fighting career, but he refused to, to, to lose a fight. And then um, he lived the rest of his life in the Hill District, and he collected garbage. So uh, I think that Troy Maxson... You know, uh, Charlie Burley is a departure for Troy Maxson, and you know, a strong African American woman. I'm sure you know August took a lot of things from his mom for Rose, uh, but I I think that uh, you know, with as many plays as August left behind, you know, ten which are called the American Century Cycle, I think that uh, we really have to give him credit for being an, an amazing craftsman of, of uh, characters and of situations, of plot, uh, of, of different worlds that all have to do, they're all so human and they're all having to do with, with um, uh, you know, not, he didn't write plays about uh, Martin Luther King, he wrote a play, plays about the people who were living in the Hill District whose lives seemed inconsequential, but he made them be of such consequence. And, um, and uh, you know, so, so I just think he's an amazing craftsperson. Sure, there were moments and, you know, gateways of departures for him, but I think that, that he really was an amazing inventor. And, and, you know, he, he took it from the soil. You know, the soil is fertile. Yeah. You know, uh, if you don't mind, let's yes. speak to that and speak to the gentleman. Uh, um, but one of the things that August loved about Amiri uh, Baraka uh, was uh, uh, during the Black Arts Movement, August always said he was, he was uh, fired in the kiln of the yes. Black Arts Movement. And in the Black Arts Movement, uh, uh, I can recall the first time I was liberated uh, consciously, uh, was, Amiri said, you're black by color, consciousness, and commitment. And if you don't have a consciousness and the commitment, the color don't mean nothing. And uh, so for a lot of red bones and, 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 and uh, yellow niggas and, uh, I mean, for, for a whole lot, for whatever, for whatever, uh, to speak to that and, 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 to, and to rejoice. Preach, brother. In, to, 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 to rejoice in what August did, you know, to make sure to understand that you know the hands that, that, that raised you, that changed your diapers and everything, that really has a lot to do with your consciousness and your commitment. Yes. You know? So I just wanted to speak to that. I want to thank, uh, I want to say a couple things. I want to thank everyone at Paramount and everyone involved with this film for sharing it with us here this evening. Let's give them one more applause for joining us and thank you. The 54th New York Film Festival included an intimate evening with Adam Driver, who stars in Jim Jarmusch's forthcoming Patterson, 
as well as Martin Scorsese's Silence. He joined Kent Jones at a fundraising event to discuss his work in those two films and more. Let's go to that now. Man, I remember four years ago at the opening night of the film festival, uh, we had to go to the press line, and then I turned around, and there you were with Noah Baumbach um, shooting for While We're Young. <laughs> Did he ask you? He never he, asked, no. He just showed up? Yeah, he was just there. <laughs> <laughs> and then a year later, you guys came with the movie, and that right, was great. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're here in, near your old alma mater, right? Yeah, yeah. Juilliard. Yeah, right on over it, beside it. I'm, I'm not actually sure where we are. We're... <laughs> <laughs> we're, are, are we above Juilliard? Or? We're in the Rose Building. Oh, okay, cool. Juilliard's, yeah. And, this, and that's where you met your wife, I know. Right, yeah. 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 And so the, I, we, we also know that as the, the story goes, that you had been a Marine and that you were not deployed. And it's interesting that you, I'm interested in the idea that you felt like the, the, I, the training that you got and the example of working together as a team really helped you when you started to make movies. Yeah, I, that's a good thing that I took out of being in the military was mm -hmm. the uh, working as a team mm -hmm. uh, to accomplish a mission bigger than any one person. Yeah. And that everyone had their own individual role and they mm -hmm. kind of had to stick to that and not worry about, I mean, you had to be worried about everybody else. Um, yeah. But you, you had your job and you had to be the best version of it in... Uh, you could be at that moment, but within this kind of structure of this four-man gun team, and there's mm -hmm. someone who is in charge of it, you know, mm -hmm. like a, a not like a like a director or a squad leader. Mm -hmm. And when they're good, it makes it feel like what you're doing is valuable and necessary and important. And when they're bad, it sucks, and mm -hmm. you feel like it's a waste of resource and time. And um, you know. Uh, 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 the the mission gets really um, unclear and mm -hmm. uh, feels very pointless doing what you're doing. But mm -hmm. but when it, someone's doing in charge and they have a very specific goal, then then it really feels like you're doing something, and all the the pain that's associated with it is worth it for mm -hmm. this kind of end goal that you'll never really get to see. Uh, well, I guess in this you can see it if you want to. Um, but that that idea made sense to me, and I. Feel like it's easily applied to a film set. Yeah, I mean, it makes perfect the parallels. Yeah. And even just having to adapt and improv. Like, you plan for things, and then as soon as you get there, everything's wrong. Mm -hmm. or you can do as much work as you possibly can, but then you forgot that, you know, fighter pilots are training at a different place, and that's, you know, screwing up sound, or someone's sick, or something, mm -hmm. you know, just think the elements you can't, the camera's screwed up, or mm -hmm. your gun's not working. And then you have to figure out how to adapt. So you prepare for that to adapt. You prepare to be unprepared, right. I guess. Right. Yeah. yeah. And to be able to adapt on the spot. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just want to find out how many people in the room have seen Patterson? Nobody. Yeah. Well, I know you people have. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Did Jim Jarmich raise his hand? No. Okay. I don't think so. Yeah. He's like, fuck it. <laughs> um, I hope that everyone is going to see it who hasn't seen it, and probably a lot of you are going to be seeing it tonight, and I think most of you know the Barrow Outlines, but Adam plays uh, a driver named Patterson in the city of Patterson who is a poet, and um, you were talking about uh, be beforehand about um, exposing yourself to poetry as you were preparing for the movie. Um, what? Exposing yourself to poetry as oh, you yeah, were preparing for the for the first the time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But had you um, was that your first time reading that kind of that vein in American poetry, William Carlos Williams? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd, like I knew E. Cummings poems, mm -hmm. and I really liked those. And mm -hmm. I played Chicago. I remember learning when I was in high school for some reason that that poem always. But apart from that, no. I, yeah. I mean, I knew like little like things of William Carlos Williams, but I didn't know Ron Paget or or. Yeah. Uh, Ron Paget is the poet who, who, who writes the poems yeah, for, for that your character writes. Yeah, yeah, who Jim knew for a long time mm -hmm. and asked him to do it, and he said yes. And, yeah. and they're all, but I, I didn't. And then just hearing Jim talk about it mm. um, was a really great uh, 
school mm. in poetry. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know anything about it. I don't know much about it now, even. Well, but I mean, to, to and then I would write poetry, and that was really bad. Uh huh. When we were doing nothing, it, you yeah. want to recite now? Nothing I'm sure. I want okay. to recite. All right. That was the first thing I took actually when we were because ri- I was writing poetry throughout. And then uh-huh. the first thing I grabbed is that my book of poems because I didn't want anyone to read it. <laughs> you didn't want anybody to read it. Yeah. Did you, you didn't feed it to the dog, did you? Like, no, no, no. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to give anything away about <laughs> oh, the movie. Yeah, um, that's the end of the movie. Yeah, there we go. Oh, well. No, I'm, um, kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's a joke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what's, but what's at, at, at the core of the film is the idea that um, William Carlos Williams, as many of you probably know, was a doctor. And when he was practicing medicine. Uh, he was a real doctor. I mean, he saw he had a lot of patients. He worked in neighborhood. He lived in East Rutherford, New Jersey. And then the minute the patients were gone, he would flip up the, the typewriter on his desk. He almost said computer. Um, and he started, and he would work on his poetry. Um, and that's a through line in, in, uh, with Wallace Stevens and right. a lot of other writers. So that's something that's central to the character, that he's a bus driver and his sense of time and dailiness is yeah, but also identity, yeah. I think, is something that Jim was talking about from the very um, beginning when we first start talking about it, that he is a, uh, a poet, but he's not defined by it. He's a bus driver, but he's not defined by that. He, why can't the two coexist? Why do you have to be just this one thing? He was um, in the military also, but it's kind of mentioned and not really addressed again. And uh, I mean, I hope that's not giving anything away, but... Um, that that idea I liked a lot. That I was in the military. Also, I'm not. I don't walk around saluting things or you know, you know, walk into a room and look at an exit. Uh, or I mean, I do do that, but um, uh, like right now, <laughs> so we're, we're all in it together. <laughs> right, right. Um, Semper Fi. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I, I don't. I don't think that. Like that, that's just that thing I did, and I uh, took the good things from it that worked for me, and. and Tried to forget the things that didn't work or that I didn't like about it, and but it's not that's not you know it's not who I am. You know. It's terrible. It's, <laughs> I was you were going to interrupt you, me. And, I was, but the, but then <laughs> <I didn't. laughs> but then I didn't. So yeah, I was yeah. just letting you go on. I guess yeah. no, but I um, but we were talking about the sense of. Um, the, the beauty of the film, I don't want to, you know, we don't want to talk too much about the film before the majority of the people in the room have seen it, but it's the dailiness of the movie that, and the beauty of dailiness um, and the rhythms of it that's at the core of the movie and that you, in your performance, I must say. No, yeah, well, just being observant so, of all the things that yeah. are around you and not taking, the, and finding beauty in small things, which is a very kind of sweeping, idealized maybe thing to say, but yeah. it, it, the way I think that it's yeah, it in can. the script and the way it is, yeah. Uh, it, when we were doing it, was really great. Plus, you know, you're surrounded by an incredible group of people. It's hard not to um, want to show up on set and just listen to those people talk or act or do their job. And that's really exciting thing. It was it, that was the best part about it was getting to watch everybody else and listen to everybody else. Mm. Do you enjoy um, working in different registers with different filmmakers? I mean, adjusting to their uh, wavelength. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've, um, don't really have a set like way of working yeah. where that you suddenly show up on set and try to impose that way on everybody else. Yeah. I feel like the only thing that's consistent is you know know your lines and mm-hmm. then show up on time. That's and, a, those are good things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wearing your costume. Yeah, but then but then uh, the, every set is different and mm-hmm. uh, and I feel when you try to. Add, impose your way of working or what is familiar or comfortable to you, then suddenly it, um, it it's not as fun. I, I don't think you don't maybe grow as much when you have to adapt to like kind of the mood of the set, then suddenly mm-hmm. you're kind of, you're less in control and you learn maybe something new that you didn't, that you wouldn't have uh, worked on uh, uh, before, I think. Yeah, imposing your way of working would be a really frustrating kind of experience. Yeah, especially if, if it is a team thing, mm-hmm. then uh, then it's very much about my me and my you know you know how I see this thing going, and I, right. think, I think it closes you off to so many other ideas. That's also even in acting. I think when you're um, if you have an idea of how it goes and you show up and you just do your idea, then like uh, there's so many other possibilities to get to the same result. So why would you shortchange yourself and not right. kind of set yourself up to fail by not listening to anybody else mm-hmm. that's around you? And again, Jim, every lot of great people want to work with Jim, so uh, he surrounded you with all these great people. Why would you shortchange yourself and not be open to um, 
all their ideas. Mm. It's um, maybe we shouldn't tell you how rare that is. <laughs> it's 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 extraordinary. Rare to work with. Well, no, for you, for an actor to be that, you know, disinvested in having their own imprint as opposed to. I mean, I'm definitely concerned what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, and think it's. Uh, I, I think maybe need to actually pull back less with like the anxiety that I always associate with do with work where. Mm -hmm. Uh, it monopolizes all of my thoughts, and I think it's terrible. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, dr drive everyone around me crazy with how mm -hmm. you know. D tell me it's bad and right. uh, uh, things like that. But um, yeah, that's not really what you were asking, though. But I, I think just because that's the only other way I know, I, mm -hmm. I guess, for mm -hmm. uh, going to school here or not here, but in, at Juilliard and uh, and being from the military, where I see the benefits of. Um, you know, passing the ball to somebody else and mm -hmm. uh, not knowing what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> so. at, at this point, you're, you're also, and I know that you've gotten this question before, but working in different registers of kinds of filmmaking, it's going from doing the television series, doing right. a film like Patterson or Silence, doing a film, doing the Star Wars right. um, series, and that must be, from this perspective, very interesting as well. It is, yeah, because the, the, the size of, you know, Star Wars, it's very much like special. There's a lot of special effects, mm -hmm. and they always call cut, and hundreds of people descend that you didn't know were there. <laughs> and there's like one guy's job to just move a glass and like, you know, uh -huh. brush a leaf and uh, or like operate the snow machine. And uh, and it, it's the time in between can take so much time that you, you start to lose focus of what the story There's just a lot of noise around it, which is good because it also forces you to um uh get out of your rhythm you you mm -hmm. have to like you, you can't really keep it going in between takes because it might be another hour before you get a chance to do it again whereas something like this movie we had so much time to kind of it felt like a conversation in between takes that just mm -hmm. kind of um at some point they started rolling but we continued our, our ideas of the scene what we're talking about the pace was completely different there's no right way it was just a different thing and, mm -hmm. but it, it forces you to not um again i, I guess i'm just sit repeating myself come in with an i uh, you know i only have this th this is what makes me comfortable you know everybody else adjust mm -hmm. you know the, the, mm -hmm. the hundreds of people that are relying on you i guess is more clear when you're on a bigger budget movie right because if you don't do your job then the, so many other people are kind of screwed even if it means showing up on time you know, like everyone's has no one lives in the film set they have lives outside of it so yeah uh they're kind of depending on you to do your part so they can you know go home mm -hmm. I just what got a, bored in my own answer. <laughs> anyway, that, that, that's yeah. I can't. I don't know exactly what's the the difference. I guess, but I, yeah. I guess the way in working. Um, what about the green screen experience acting with a? I think because the I didn't really have that very much with Star Wars really? actually because yeah. everything was practical. JJ wanted mm -hmm. to do everything with like yes. the actual puppets and things like that. Yes. The little times that we did do it, I was really bad at it. I kept looking at the wrong X and uh, mm -hmm. on the wall because it's hard to, you know, hear a voice and not to try to connect it, you know, with a, yeah. with a face. Right. Know. I remember Alan Arkin, I was talking to him once, he was saying, I'd love to do one of those green screen movies and sit there and go, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, he says that now. <laughs> um, but that's, and that's going to be uniform throughout the series, I suppose, that template that J.J. Abrams set of trying to work as much as possible with yeah with real, the, with yeah. the with the stuff you yeah know, where you're um, you're talking to at least something you know yeah. that's that's listening to you you know yeah. acting in a void yeah <laughs> right yeah a good a good stuff um, we were just talking about the experience that you had shooting Silence with Martin Scorsese mm -hmm. uh, in Taiwan which was a pretty that was a pretty intense experience right. Yeah, no, it was definitely the toughest, um, toughest job I think I've ever had to do. Yeah. Yeah. In what way? Um, well, the crew uh, was like every, I think there were seven different languages kind of going on on set, and mm -hmm. uh, the locations were really beautiful, but getting there was kind of a logistical nightmare right. always. And, you know, our costumes were, you know, very, you know, we're, we're Jesuit priests in the 17th century. So, you know, wearing over, you know, sandals at my feet are very big. So the sandals mm -hmm. are supposed to be comically very small and like running up mountains. And, mm -hmm. and we all, we had to lose a bunch of weight for A lot it. of weight, right. And, because yeah. uh, they're on a ship headed from uh, Portugal to Macau for two years. And, 
um, he asked us if we would lose it because we, you know, we're, there's disease and stuff um, on the ship. That, so by the time we get there, it's been a two-year journey. That's the start of the movie, and then we're getting mm -hmm. told that no, you can't make this last leg of the trip. You know, after we've been, you know, starving for a long time, and then, then mm -hmm. you know, it's torture uh, until then. So all those that kind of um, affected everything. You know, in losing the weight because you get to you so hungry and just talking, to, <laughs> trying to communicate anything, like mm -hmm. ideas are, is really difficult. Sometimes it's great because you're so tired that you are not putting anything on top of what you're uh, doing. You're, mm -hmm. you're not, um, all you can do is listen and respond and you're not trying to add anything on top of it. But then sometimes it's bad because you know, a seed wouldn't work and I have no ideas to make it better. <laughs> you just can't think of a, of a good idea, you know? But then you have a scoop of peanut butter and you're like, I have, I have all these ideas, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but that was just really, that was tough. You know, mm -hmm. that, that was tough, I mean, uh, it's, but it was good. It lent itself to what it was. It's hard to do a movie about, you know, uh, Jesuit, uh, Portuguese yeah. Jesuit missionaries. Yeah, oppressed uh, yeah. Portuguese Jesuit. Um, priests when you're well fed and well rested. And, yeah, you know, that's right. Does, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Your trailer's really nice. Yeah. And you're drinking <laughs> bottled water. <laughs> yeah, in yeah, the language thing, you were in Taiwan shooting a film setting set in 17th century Japan with the American English crew, Italian production designer. Uh, right. right, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. my driver didn't speak very well, so it, uh, in English very well. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, so it, even just getting to, I mean, <laughs> it, it get, it, getting anywhere was was uh, was uh, 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 it just took a lot of effort. And yeah. Plus, you know, a lot of I, I had an identity of a city is through its restaurants and food, and that's mm -hmm. like a big uh, how you a big way in how you get to know a culture. But when you're not eating it, you're like this place sucks. You know, like, <laughs> there's nothing going on here. You know? <laughs> And then my wife came for a, a week, and I cheated, and like went out and like for a, uh, a night, and I had dinner, and I'm like, "This is a beautiful city, you know? Like, Taiwan's a magical place, <laughs> um, like Patterson, like New Patterson. Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, I, I was struck when I, I, I read when you came to the city and you were going to Juilliard, you would go home at night and educate yourself by watching movies. I mean, get get yourself in the groove of of watching movies, watching Fellini and uh, yeah. When I was at yeah. school, did you yeah. miss the first yes. part? Of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And, and also just when when I was a kid, uh, uh, when I was in high school, you know, the Mishawaka, Indiana, isn't the cultural hub of uh, of the world. So they're, they're is my, that true? Yeah, it's yeah. very true. Okay. Yeah. So my only outlet to anything that was was you know blockbuster video, PJ's yeah. video, Hollywood video. It's like three. Um, Places in our uh, in my town, I would just go over and watch movies and, mm -hmm. and uh, educate myself on something. Mm -hmm. uh, There's no theater. I mean, there was a round barred theater that the Amish ran. Uh, they did like Annie Get Your what Gun they, five years in a row. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this one. What did, yeah. what did they show there? Annie Get Your Gun. They Annie Get that. Your Gun. Yeah, oh, yeah. 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 Oh, okay. I can't remember the. I think they did like the Music Man one year. Right. Uh, but they, there wasn't like I didn't know much about. Uh, any anywhere outside of Mishawaka, Indiana, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, and except through films, yeah, uh, through film, and yeah, and you were, I think you mentioned that you would watch Marty's movies and you probably Jim's movies when you were younger. And my my yeah. grandfather actually he would record um, uh, well, on VHS. He put the piece of tape over the tab, you know, yeah. so you could record, and he would record movies off TV so me, my sister and I could watch, you know, the edited version where mm -hmm. there's like. So you can like watch Lethal Weapon at like seven, you know, but they've taken out, you know, all the <laughs> all the, the nudity and thing, but shooting people was totally fine. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. In his mind. And all like Audie Murphy movies and um, you know, the Muppets Christmas Carol and just the spectrum. All the classics. Yeah. yeah. So he had like yeah. four four of them on one tape and he would catalog them and type them out in like a a piece of paper, like a running time, the actors, a, a list of what the what what happens in the movie, and he would put them in a book, like a binder, and, and wow. every. And so, if we wanted to watch a movie, my sister and I would open up this huge, you know, folder and the, all these laminated pages of like uh, there are five movies on uh, on each cassette tape and like a description of them and when they came out, and wow. so we'd go through it and we'd and he'd number them and he'd put them on a on like a shelf next to his bed. Yeah. It, it wasn't like in a in a different room, his next was bed where uh -huh. he slept, uh, yeah. and 
he would uh, have them all right there. So we'd like look at the, oh, I'm going to watch number 59, you know, and you mm -hmm. go and find 59 and um, be Lethal Weapon. <laughs> right. And five movies on one tape. Yeah, 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 SLP, right? That was, right, so that was the speed. You can, you can watch all yeah. of them. Yeah. The Weapon <laughs> 1 through 4. I, 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 just, I guess I just want to, uh, you know, edge to a close by asking you if you write, because I, I must say that you, it strikes me that you have the temperament of a writer, I, and I'm not sure why I'm saying that, but... Oh, I don't know. No, okay. I've tried to write before, and it's too mm -hmm. bad. Mm -hmm. it's too, I think I don't... Uh, I've met mm -hmm. really good writers who... I, I am like, oh, you're a really good writer. I don't see the world how you do. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I should try to do what you do. Mm -hmm. but, uh, I... I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you mean, though. I think I, um, in the crippling insecurity, in the crippling insecurity <laughs> that you're displaying for us tonight, <laughs> out of the goodness of your heart, right, right, right. you're opening yourself up, just giving it all to us. And um, right. but also, I suppose, Drug abuse. yeah. Well, <laughs> to, in in the um, in the film, your relationship to words also is oh. not everybody. I mean, you know, I, I'm, it's, it's extremely beautiful. It's something that I find myself thinking about. I've seen the Patterson a couple times and plan on seeing it a few more times. And I um, Yeah, I think about, I love, yeah, language I think is a mm -hmm. big thing that um, I didn't really come to uh, until uh, later in life. I think post-military, mm -hmm. didn't read a lot. There was like a reading that wasn't really encouraged, or not initially encouraged. Um, I got these books that my wife had read when she was a kid. Uh, mm -hmm. I just had no idea what they were the the books you were supposed to read in high school like I never and read didn't, yeah. Yeah, yeah and and language just really wasn't how people communicated in my family I mean not to say anything bad about my family they just it wasn't a very yeah. verbal uh, household and I could see a lot in them and in people when I was in the military the absence of language really made people do crazy things and, and not being able to express yourself made you know that made uh, uh, I think child uh, or can make people, you know, angry, ag aggressive, and I, I just saw many examples of that. So when I think when I found when I went to school and for really the first time um, discovered plays, really because I knew about uh, acting and, and plays, but I didn't re read anything until I went to Juilliard, or mm -hmm. where you're kind of like inundated with you know all these great writers. Then I then I noticed in myself that. I've, for the first time, I was really to label the things that were not right or the, or were right, or the, <laughs> I wish I had the words for it at the time. Mm -hmm. And you're you're in New York. You're surrounded by all these like really interested and interesting people who are, on the whole, to generalize, very you know, uh, uh, have an edge, mm -hmm. you know, and, and are, are around more culture. So mm -hmm. their uh, language. Uh, is something that's more like a tool and a weapon, and I, I wanted that and be able mm -hmm. to um, explain a lot of things. Uh, I just can see how what a valuable thing it is. And so since then, I've you know really in love with language and re, you know uh, trying to um, consume it as much as I can. And, and I'm so lucky that I get to do this job where it's you know based around language and you know obviously a, a visual aesthetic and visual storytelling but um using your words uh is i can is a very powerful thing you know mm -hmm. and i get i have a job where i get to do that which is pretty great movement as well because you move oh, <laughs> you're, you're, yeah thanks your your instrument is oh. pretty remarkable and just uh, Thank you. Want to make a general observation? Say it. Pay a general compliment. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Was this okay? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's cool. Okay. Great. Yeah. Thank it's you. great. <laughs> no, it's great. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thanks very much. All right, thank Thanks, you. Adam. Thanks for The close-up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Nick Kemp and Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, please visit filmlink.org. 
F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.